So Rachel looks outside, realizes it's Boko Haram outside her house looking for her husband. She had her daughter in her arms when they started shooting. A bullet actually went through her arm and hit her five-year-old daughter in her arms. Her daughter died in her arms. And they come in and they're looking for her husband. And they're asking, where's your husband? Where's your husband? Where's your husband? Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we're in the studio today with Brother Jack and Brother Sean. They are from our International Ministries Department working on the continent of Africa. Guys, welcome to VOM Radio. Thanks, Todd. Thank you for having us. You guys have just come back from Nigeria and Uganda, and I know one of the things that you came back impressed by is the pastors that VOM is partnering with and just how they're living out their call to be a shepherd in a place that is very dangerous. Talk a little bit about that and about some of the specific pastors that you met on this trip. Well, you know, the these pastors that we met, especially in, in northeast Nigeria, are are ministering in a very difficult context. As, as probably many of our listeners know, Boko Haram is, is still very active in the north of Nigeria. And so many pastors have, have fled the area along with, with displaced peoples and are no longer serving there. But there are some pastors who have chosen to stay, and they're there. Many of them are away from their families because it's too dangerous for their families to be in the area. So they'll go in maybe for two weeks uh, at a time. will minister to several congregations, do so at great risk to their own life, but just a lot of challenges that they're facing. One, one is a, a famine going mm-hmm. on in, in northeast Nigeria now, which has uh, been complicated because of Boko Haram. I think there's uh, an estimated 5 million people that are on the verge of, of starvation, and so you've got that wow. context going on. You've got the, the threat of a terrorist organization like Boko Haram, and who, who some say have created more displaced people, more chaos even than ISIS. Mm-hmm. And so these guys are there with very limited means, but with a heart to serve the Lord and just very unique challenges that they're, that they're serving in. They've got people who are starving. They've got people who have... Uh, starving been, physically and physically spiritually. Physically starving yeah. spiritually, <laughs> yeah. uh, who have been persecuted, uh, who are holding on by a thread. And it's, it just really amazed me, I think it amazed both of us, to see just, just the pastoral heart that these guys have and then the way uh, that these people are being cared for and nourished and are being able to stay and to stand. One thing I was even really surprised at is the fluidity of the situation in northern Nigeria. You don't have established borders between Boko Haram and the military. I would equate it to more like Syria than Mm -hmm. like in Iraq. I mean, it's pretty chaotic. It's, like I said, very fluid. Like we talked to many pastors and widows and things that they were living in this town this month. Well, then Boko Haram came in. So then they're in the next town that next month. So they're they're moving around a lot. And that's another challenge for the pastors is that mm-hmm. it's not, hey, I'm just going to go to this church and minister in this church. And this this town is safe. This town's not. You know, in this town, I'm working in the military for Texas. So it's safe. It's very, very, very fluid. And so a lot of times they're ministering in areas where there is no church. Mm-hmm. They lost their original home church. So they're just going where 
the people are, where they can minister. Mm-hmm. And that's not safe a lot of times. Like, at the, like I said, things can change very, very, very quickly. I think you'll hear that from some of the stories that we're going to be talking about. So it's just a very hectic situation. Where's Boko Haram are? Well, and they're probably in the village that the pastor's ministering in, and they know them. And yeah. uh, I think Sean will probably speak to that. But that was just one thing that stood out to me. There are no established lines there. So that just right. presents a whole other challenge for them to minister. And, I mean, they're amongst it. They're not on the border of Boko Haram. Yeah. They're not. And we, we heard that a lot where yeah. they said, you know, these these guys are, they, they mm-hmm. just come back in and they blend back in with the society, mm-hmm. you know. And then wow. And then some of them live right on the edge of the Sambisa forest. And they said, you know, we, we live right next to people who their wives are taking food out to their husbands who are Boko Haram militants out in the forest. So if you're but, a pastor, there's no hiding it. Right. You're a pastor. Yeah. It's not like you can say, yeah. well, I'm on the military side and I'm a pastor, yeah. but Boko Haram doesn't really know about me. Yeah. If you're ministering in that area, they know about you and they know who you are and you know they know who the believers are. So that was one thing that really stood out to me. Yeah. Talk about Pastor Matthew. I know yeah. he was one who really stuck out in, in your visit. Yeah, he was. He, he, he ministers in a town called Goza in northeast Nigeria. Um, Goza was a town that was overrun by Boko Haram about two years ago. And recently the military was able to push out Boko Haram. The military has control of the city now. It's sort of under martial law. To get into Goza or to exit Goza, you have to enter or exit with a military convoy. Uh, so they have uh, minesweepers and things that will actually, you know, lead the convoy out. Wow. Uh, Pastor Matthew said the last time he left the city, there were five explosives that were detonated on the road going out. And so people have to wait in a nearby town uh, to maybe several days before they can go in or come out. It's a, it's a very controlled environment. Pastor Matthew is the only pastor in the town. Uh, he was invited in by the military, by a military chaplain. He leads a worshiping congregation of about 430 people from various denominations that are meeting in a, uh, a dispensary there. Now, all the churches were destroyed, All right? the churches yeah, were destroyed. Right. Yeah. All the Christian homes were destroyed in the town. And um, so he is the only ministerial presence in this town. And you really just you feel that when you're there, mm-hmm. that you know something we want to do is to assist our brothers and sisters— with physical encouragement, but we also want to do that with spiritual encouragement. And um, you realize these these pastors are the guys who are the the very tip of the spear of that spiritual encouragement. And we can come in and we we do trainings, we do uh, persecution conferences, we do things that do provide spiritual encouragement. But the day in day out spiritual encouragement mm-hmm. is being administered by men like Pastor Matthew. And you realize in a town like Goza. If he's not there doing this, there's nobody there's there nobody. doing that. He yeah. is the pastor for the town. Mm-hmm. And so it just, I think, reiterated for us of how important it is to stand with those frontline workers, mm-hmm. how important it is to to minister to the guys who are ministering to our persecuted family, to really support them and build them up. And they have lots of needs, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we try to assess those needs and meet them best we can. So you mentioned that, that we're helping these pastors. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how we're helping them or how we can stand with them. Well, of course, the first thing they always ask for is prayer. <laughs> and so uh, so just for our, our listeners, I mean, that's that's something that you can join us in, uh, uh, praying for, for these faithful pastors. Something they often ask for is commentaries and, and books and helps 
uh, for them to be able to minister. Most of these guys had libraries that yeah. were destroyed by Boko Haram. Most of them had a, a motorbike or a bicycle or something mm-hmm. that was destroyed by Boko Haram. Mm-hmm. And so that that usually becomes something that they ask for, some way to be mobile if they're in an area where they can be mobile, and, uh, and then for the books or commentaries. And so with the current situation like it is, we're trying to assess about getting tablets and maybe putting multiple resources on. One of the things you mentioned when we're talking about Goza is the fact that the churches were destroyed and the yeah. Christian homes were destroyed. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what happens when Boko Haram comes into a city yeah. or comes into a village and the fact that they are specifically targeting Christian homes, Christian buildings, Muslim buildings are left mm-hmm. alone. Yeah, so I'll talk to, a little bit to that to um, a lady I met. We'll say her name's Rachel. The thing you have to understand, like we talked about Boko Haram, they are not some faraway fighting force that just then moves into the area like a military campaign, right? They're living... The guys are... They're your neighbors. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're your neighbors. They're, and they're, during growing season, they're coming in the farm next to you. And then, wow. you know, during harvesting season, they're going to harvest. And then during fighting season, which is usually right after rainy season ends, they're going to go to with Boko Haram to fight. And they're going to come back to a village and they're going to know exactly who the Christians are, you know. Mm-hmm. And if, if they don't, they're going to have help a lot of times. One thing we really learned about was the connection between Boko Haram and the Fulani in Nigeria and... Now, let's talk a little bit about that, because most of our listeners will have heard of Boko Haram. They've pledged allegiance to the Islamic State. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. are setting up their little caliphate in northern Nigeria. But most people maybe don't know about the Fulani. So what's the difference? So I'll let Sean speak to that. Yeah, the Fulani are an ethnic group in in Nigeria, Cameroon. They, They kind of through the Sahel in North Africa, you will find Fulani groups. But um, the Fulani in Nigeria, they're they're Muslim. They're nomadic. Uh, most of them rear cattle. And so they they kind of move all across northern Nigeria. Whereas the military is sort of isolated Boko Haram, the, the Fulani, because of being nomadic by nature, can kind of move freely. And so Boko Haram has used that to their advantage. I think there's a we, we hear there's a very strong connection between the two groups that even Boko Haram are embedded with Fulani. And so we're starting to see now Fulani carry out attacks on Christians all across northern Nigeria, the middle belt of Nigeria. And when they come in, we see similar things like Boko Haram. They come in, they target Christian homes, they target churches, they leave mosques, they leave mm-hmm. Muslim homes, they burn villages, they destroy crops. So it's it's very targeted, and uh, and we think the connection to, to Boko Haram is a very strong yeah. connection. It's it's people from the community. It's not always just someone it's not that complete strangers. Yeah, that's... that they don't know, and so you have to realize that. And so when they're coming into these communities, they know exactly the Christian groups they're looking to. And like we just said, you can't be a pastor, you can't be a believer without Boko Haram knowing who you are in these areas. So Rachel was a lady that she originally had eight children. She lost one to illness, so she had seven. Her and her family lived in a village in northeast Nigeria, and they knew that Boko Haram was active in the area or knew who they were. So they actually, like a lot of families we talked to, the wife and kids, or just sometimes just the kids, would go up into the mountains to sleep at night. Every night, wow. go up in the mountains because, you know, generally, and in the mountains they would have, uh, like, vigilante groups that kind of worked to protect them in a mountain made up of young men that basically from the community that were protecting in the mountains. So her family would go up at night to the mountains for safety. 
Generally, her and her husband would stay down with their youngest child, their daughter named Rejoice, who was five, um, and needed to be still kind of more looked after, taken care of. So they would stay at night, you know, and he would they would stay there to look after the crops, basically to keep away from wild animals and everything like that. You know, that's their livelihood. Their crops are their livelihood. Right. So anything that goes in and destroys, you're not getting income for that year, right? So, so it's a big risk, but to them, there's no other option. But one night, her husband actually went up to be with the children, and she stayed home. And she heard shooting outside. She thought maybe it was the vigilante group at first. Looks outside, realizes it's Boko Haram outside her house looking for her husband. And uh, they just sporadically start firing at the house. That's not uncommon. We, you know, I've kind of heard that and heard mm-hmm. that pastors before that they just kind of, without warning, start shooting. And uh, they know shooting. which houses are Christian and yes, which ones are yes, Muslim. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at that point, there's no point really knocking on the door at that point. And uh, she had her daughter in her arms when they started shooting. And the uh, bullet actually went through her arm and hit her five-year-old daughter in her arms and killed her daughter. Her daughter died in her arms. And so she's telling the story. So immediately they come in afterwards, and her daughter, she said, I could feel my daughter dying in my arms is what she said. And they come in, and they're looking for her husband. And they're asking, where's your husband? Where's your husband? Where's your husband? And she said, he's not here. He's not here. Just keeps responding. He's not here. And and they're questioning her, you know, saying, well, his shoes are here. We see his shoes. They start looking for everything. They start taking all the food and they're telling her, if you don't tell us where he is, you're going to, we're going to kill you. And she, I just remember her in the emotion and the real emotion as she's telling me this story. And she's just saying at that point, I didn't care. And she had told me, you know, I used to wonder if I ran into Boko Haram, she used to say, I wouldn't be able to stand it. I'd be too afraid. And she said at that point, you know, after my daughter has died in my arms, that I just wanted them to kill me. I wanted to die. And she was telling them that. I'd rather die, just die. And she said she knew if she died, she'd be with her with her daughter. So she said, I wasn't afraid at all. She said, I didn't even feel pain in my arm because of the pain I felt for my child. So she's just telling them, fine, kill me. It'd be better if you kill me. It'd be better if you kill me. And they end up leaving her. They leave her there with her child. And her husband ends up coming the next morning when he learns of the attacks. And and so her child passed away. And just speaking to Rachel, one thing that really just stuck out to me, again, was just how real she was and what she was going through. She talked a lot about how hard it was to recover after that, how close she was to her child, that she, after that, she didn't want to live anymore, and that she had a real struggle with her faith for a long time after that. And she didn't know what her purpose, like what purpose did God have in her life? And um, one thing that helped her get through that, as we talked about, she is actually her pastor at her church. And that every Sunday that they would go to church, they would lay hands on her to pray for her every Sunday. Wow. And how she just began to see, eventually see like God's purpose in her life. And, you know, and she's still, it's still a struggle. And I think that was one thing that I enjoyed talking to her about is that, we get and the listeners get and the readers get a very small glimpse of someone's life, right? We come in and we talk about one event that happened in their life, but they're still living an entire life. It's many times encouraging to hear how God has like used that event in their life, but they still have daily struggles. Like she said, every day I have to get up and pray, God, show me your purpose for me today. 
because she still struggles with that. And, you know, her pastor has been a great encouragement. And she just spoke about how she's realizing like a purpose in her life is to raise her other six children in a godly way and how God has used them to encourage her. We see again, and this goes back to what we're talking about, the pastor's encouraging her. You know, Rachel went through a terrible experience and still struggles. But what gets her through the daily daily thing you know help that she gets is amazing but what gets her through each day what gets her eat through each week each month is the support of her local church mm-hmm. you know oftentimes we hear and when, you know i was in africa and you hear a lot of negative things about the local church and that exists prosperity gospel exists those things exist granted they exist in america too but um the areas that we operate and VOM operates in, there is no, there's no prosperity gospel. Yeah, You're yeah. not a pastor in well, Northeast and, Nigeria. And talk a little bit about that because I know some of the pastors talk to you about how mm-hmm. their preaching has changed right. since the Boko Haram attack, <laughs> since all the churches have been burned down. Mm-hmm. We preach differently than we used to. How has it changed? Yeah, well, and, and you know, in southern Nigeria, there are large churches and there are Very wealthy large. pastors mm-hmm. and there is a a lot of prosperity gospel. And I know probably many of these these pastors in the North have wanted to maybe emulate that in some way or have, you know, think maybe that's what being a successful pastor might look like. And many of them have told us that we were preaching more about God's blessing or more about prosperity in the past. But with what's happened, uh, it's really driven them to the scriptures. It's driven them to, to preach about perseverance, to focus back on the gospel and holiness and what it means to encourage their congregations. And, and so, um, yeah, most of them when we asked, what are you preaching on right now? It, <laughs> it, was, it was about weighty stuff of, yeah. of standing strong mm-hmm. and persevering, of going back to the words of Christ. And, and many of them were preaching through the Beatitudes or something suffering, along the lines yeah. of, of suffering mm-hmm. or um, uh, realizing that you're blessed when you're persecuted. Yeah. It's awesome that VOM has you guys to go and encourage and bless and pray with Mm -hmm. somebody like Rachel. Mm -hmm. But every Sunday, her church body right there is laying hands on her, praying for her. That's world-changing. Yeah, Yeah. You know, what got Rachel through that time and continues to to sustain her is not material things, which, you know, I mean, is important. And there's times where relief is needed and material things are needed to get through the day. But what gets you through the rest of your life Mm -hmm. is spiritual sustainability. And that's what these pastors are providing at the risk of their own lives in these areas. And I was talking to a a widow when when Jack was talking to Rachel, just just really a horrible situation where she had a a husband who um, was kidnapped by Boko Haram. So he was he was kidnapped out of the village, taken to be sort of a slave with Boko Haram, and then was able to escape, came back to the village, and the people didn't trust him any longer mm-hmm. because he was bad. They thought he was a spy, and the military suspected that he still had connections to Boko Haram, even though he was kidnapped in the mm-hmm. first place. And so the military had him digging a grave one day and told him to get down in the grave, and they shot him. And so, oh so her, she's a widow with nine kids, and her husband was killed because of being ca- kidnapped by Boko Haram. Mm-hmm. So just a horrible situation. Another man who was a, a, a widower kind of takes her. They, they sort of had a, a marriage agreement, or he kind of became her protector. And then in December 2016, uh, she was at the market sh- shopping for Christmas. 
a bomb goes off in the market. She hears the first bomb goes off. It was a young girl, suicide bomber. Many of the, the, the Chibok yeah. girls that mm-hmm. we talked to, some of the mothers of the Chibok girls, that's one of their worst fears is that their daughters who were kidnapped are going to be used as suicide mm-hmm. bombers. They're, be They're radicalized. Yeah. And, and so she hears the first bomb go off. She, she thinks it's maybe the military. The second bomb goes off, and she's caught in the bomb blast. And, um, and she, she talked about laying there, thinking she was going to die, worrying about her nine children, who was going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a man laying next to her who was on fire. She began trying to put the fire out, and the man started yelling, Allah Akbar, you know, God is great in, in Islam. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she got angry. She was like, you, you were the ones who did, who did this to us, you know. Mm-hmm. And she just felt conviction of the Holy Spirit there, and she continued to try to put out the fire mm-hmm. on him. Uh, th- that man later passed away. You know, she she has lots of injuries. Um, she has injuries to her eye, to her leg. We've been helping her with uh, with her medical bills. You know, as, as I as I talk to her and just the, the, her process through this, she's the the only Christian in her family. Her family is a is a Muslim background, and just how she's getting through this of mm-hmm. going through that and then coming out of that too. What I failed to mention is this this man who kind of became her husband and became her protector and everything. He left her too after the bomb blast. So, oh my. So now she's, you know, disfigured. She mm-hmm. she has all these medical bills. She has nine kids and then uh, this guy takes off on her. But I just asked, you know, how are you getting through this? And she said, well, my my husband's brother is a, is a pastor and he comes every week and he, he encourages me. And if mm-hmm. it weren't for him, uh, I, don't, I don't know how it would have got through this. He always has a word. He always mm-hmm. has something for me to, mm-hmm. to encourage me. And it really just became like a theme on our trip that, wow, I mean, there are these guys out there who are being faithful. And if it weren't for them, um, it would be much more difficult for these people to stand on their own. They need that constant mm-hmm. shepherding. And uh, these men are just doing a, an amazing yeah. job of that. Yeah. As we wrap up talking about Nigeria, and I know uh, we're going to talk next week with you guys about your time in Uganda. But as we wrap up talking about Nigeria, we always want to equip people to pray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've talked about these pastors, and I think there's so many prayer requests that come out of that just for protection and safety and for their families that they're away from. What are some specific ways to pray for the church in northern Nigeria right now? One, one thing they would all pray for is that the Lord would just send relief to the famine. It's one thing to to minister in the midst of the persecution, that's difficult. But it's it's just really hard when people are starving mm-hmm. to, to meet their spiritual needs. And I don't remember how many pastors we heard talk about trying to help young girls hold on. Like, don't go sell yourself to a soldier. Because so, you're hungry. Because you're, because you're starving to death. Uh, people converting to Islam because just to survive and uh, knowing that maybe they'll get food. And so that's, I think, one of their biggest challenges is trying to, to minister in that environment. When, when people's physical needs aren't being met, it's so hard. But then that long-term discipleship is just so difficult when it's so chaotic. Right. You know, when th- people are moving, when there's not food, when there is no church building. Well, and, uh, even even all of your meetings are determined by if it's raining or if you can yeah. meet under a tree because <laughs> there's nowhere to meet. Yeah, you know, so. that's another thing I would add is that yeah. they would have churches rebuilt. You know, we know and we believe the church is just a, there's a building and then there's the church, right? There's been times I've met people that have gone to push back to the idea of building churches in Africa. But you have to understand 
they don't have a high school gym to meet in. Right. They don't have a community center to meet in. They don't like, have 4,000 square foot homes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the, the church is everything. That building is, yeah. is everything to them. And they all said, we know the church is not just a right. building. The church is a body of believers. But that's the center of the community. Everything happens at the church. I think it is a real legitimate prayer to, for there to be peace enough to rebuild some of these churches. And these pastors have churches to be able to operate in. Like you said, like, hey, during rainy season, what do we do during rainy seasons when yeah. it's monsoons and we don't have a church, you, yeah. know? you know? That's another thing to pray for. There's peace and there's just ability to rebuild what was lost. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Jack and Brother Sean. They have just returned from northern Nigeria, and they've been sharing with us about these stories. We're going to be back with Jack and Sean next week to talk about Uganda. That was the other half of their trip. So I hope you'll be back with us to join us then right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.